You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're concluding our Easter series on the emotions of Easter with a look at the joy of Easter Sunday. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. As any new parent could tell you, the ability to withhold our emotions is a learned skill, right? At some point in all of our lives, there was a moment where we were simply incapable of withholding our emotions, and we let the whole world know everything that we thought or felt at any given moment. And then as we start to grow, we learn how to hold up or bottle those emotions, maybe learn that some emotions aren't appropriate and so forth. Then some of us may be overachievers and we bottle up our emotions and we don't ever let anybody see them. Well, I got to tell you, here's a little insight into me. There is one thing that will always bring the emotions in my life. I mean, always. It is when I see one of those videos of our military men and women coming home and you have family members meeting them whether or not it's the mom and the dad, the, the spouse, the, the child, father, uh, the son or daughter. It doesn't even really matter. And particularly the ones where like it's a surprise, like somebody throws out the first pitch of the game and the catcher catches it and he pulls off the catcher's mask. And then it's the, the parent that had been off at war. I mean, buckets of tears for me. And it goes so deep, it didn't even have to be a person. Have you seen the videos where one of our men and women come home and their dog sees them? I mean, come on, how could you not have that? Emotions are core to who we are as humans. And it's with that that we titled our Easter series this year, The Emotions of Easter, because we've been running through the gamut of emotions. If you were here last week on Palm Sunday, we talked about frenzied emotions, a mix of emotions. Imagine it was loud. It was celebratory. Children are calling out Hosanna to him. The crowds are there. Tons of people. I'm sure there was a level of fear. There's a lot of people. It's loud. It's scary what's happening. I don't know what to do with this, but I'm excited. And then we came to Friday night. We talked about the reality of the emotion of despair. Imagine with me, if you will, you've walked alongside Jesus for three years of his public ministry. You've loved him, you cared for him, you helped meet needs for him, you traveled with him, you saw incredible things. And then you saw him on a cross and all that would follow. You loved this person and now you see this. I mean, if we're really being honest, you didn't even have to care about Jesus. If you had a soul for humanity to watch somebody endure what he endured, how would you not feel the despair? And of course, we're told that he didn't utter a word. He didn't complain. He didn't call down angels to defend him. He went and did that. And the despair set in. But this morning, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20. If you're here with us this morning and you say, hey, I don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the passages are going to be up on the screen behind me that we're going to talk through today. If you are going through a digital thing, that's great. If you have a hard copy of the Bible, that's great. If you don't have a Bible and would love to have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. And we've got carts in the back of the room uh, that have plenty of Bibles on them, and that would be our gift to you. We'd love for you to grab one and take it with you uh, and have that moving forward. But we're going to be in John chapter 20. Now, when we come to the Gospels, 
There are four books in the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of those people write an account from their perspective of what they saw. All four of those books talk about the life of Christ, the life that he lived, the death that he died, that was Friday night, and then his resurrection and what happens uh, after his resurrection. So we're going to be in John, and as John takes us into this, he's got to focus, as each of the four do, a different purpose, a different perspective. I mean, there's four eyewitnesses. Put four eyewitnesses to any event, and there's going to be differences that you hear. And so this is no different. So when we come to this, we're looking at John's account. We begin in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, on that Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So a couple of things as we step into this. One is, is Mary Magdalene is a, was a faithful follower of Christ. She loved Christ. Now, we know that it's more than just Mary because if we look at the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they fill in some details that John doesn't offer us. That's fine. John was focused on Mary, and so he tells us what Mary does. So it's bright, it's bright and early in that, but the sun hadn't come up. And so in that, we see she gets to the tomb, and it's still dark. Now, let's be honest. That's dark physically for sure. Sun isn't up yet. But it's also dark metaphorically because the sin, it looks, you look across the world, Jesus would still be in the tomb. They expected him to be dead. She's there to care for him. It's certainly dark emotionally. She has not recovered from Friday night. But her love for Jesus is so strong that she says, I loved him in life. I will love him in death. And there's an opportunity for me to go and honor him in caring for his deceased body. So up Mary gets early, early in the morning on that Sunday morning, and she heads to the tomb. It's still dark outside. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, I want to think with you, want to think with you about something. English has many ways to communicate something. We have a lot of words that mean different things. For example, if I say the word trunk to you, you've got an image that comes to mind. And I don't know what the image is that comes to your mind because it could be the back of a car. It could be an elephant's nose. It could be swim trunks. It could be the bottom of a tree. It could be a footlocker that you pack to go to camping. See, we've got words that mean different things. And when we come to this passage, this word saw is going to appear or look or to see is going to appear several times in this passage. And when we see it, what's going to happen is this, is they have different nuances. And the original language that this is written in makes it really, really clear. Because think with me, you could see something with your eyes. Think about our senses. You can observe something with your eyes. Like you could hear something or taste something or smell something. You can see something. That's the first level of seeing that we would all experience. There's a second level of seeing too, and you've been there. You, can you see something with your mind? It becomes when you and I begin to imagine things, when we begin to process things. And then there's a third level where what we have seen with our eyes, what we have seen with our mind becomes seen in our heart, where now it becomes a conviction or a perception that is so strong that it changes your life. So let's look at our passage. First day of the week, early, early Sunday morning, sun hadn't come up yet. Mary goes to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw with her eyes. She was able to look out there, and she was able to observe something's wrong. Stone was gone. 
And in all of the emotion from that, she recognizes this person whom I love dearly, this person who, even though he's deceased, I love him at a level that I am here to care for his body. And you can imagine all the emotion from Friday night is still with her. And now we've added trauma to that emotion. And so with all of that emotion, she looks, she sees with her eye, the stone's gone, the body's gone, what happened? In her despair, look at what she does. So she runs and goes to Simon Peter. You may just know him as Peter. She goes and finds Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Who's that? That's John. That's who's writing this account. So to take a second about John, John, when he met Christ and started following Christ, he very quickly adapted to this reality that the greatest thing about him wasn't his own identity or what he had done or what he had accomplished in this world. He began to say, you know who I am? What gives me identity is the fact that Jesus loves me. And I don't need to prove anything because my God, my Savior, Jesus, loves me. And so he frequently, in his gospel account of John, won't even refer to himself. He's just the other disciple. He's the one whom Jesus loves. That's enough for him. So Mary, distraught, runs and goes and finds Peter and John. Why? Because she knows they love him too. And they're going to want to know. If somebody's taken his body, John and Peter want to know. So she goes and she finds and she says, hey, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Now, what we have is a, is a woman who saw something and very quickly said, there's a problem here. We need to deal with this problem. Where is he? She's upset, and rightfully so. And she knew that John and Peter would share those same emotions. They would be upset too. Were they? Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going to the tomb. That was exactly what I think Mary wanted. Hey, I need you to join me in this. I need you to come and join me. This is really troubling. I'm devastated. Then we get verse 4. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And this is funny, right? Because the one who doesn't want to tell you his name will tell you that he's faster than the other. Look, we both ran. We both cared. I just cared a little bit more, and so I just ran a little bit faster. Frankly, Peter was a little slower than me, and you just need to know that right? And so you got this moment where you're thinking, well, what's going on there? Off they go. Because they, Mary was right. Mary thought they would care, and they cared. And they are now in this foot race to go. And then we get this moment where we see another Saul. And stooping to look in, who are we talking about? We're talking about John, the one who got to the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw that the linen cloths were lying there, but he did not go in. Okay? So here they come, running to the tomb, running to the tomb. Here's John. And he gets to this moment where he stops, and we're told that he stoops to look in, and he's looking. I mean, the tomb wouldn't have been a full-size door. It's cut into a rock, and so it's going to be lower. And so if he's going to be able to see down into it, he's got to stoop down and look in there. But he didn't go in, probably due to the uh, ritual cleansings they would have had to do, and so that doesn't mean that he loved Jesus left. I think he was honoring Jewish law. And so he's got this moment where he's looking and we see that. But you see that? He saw the linen cloth lying there. That's our same word. He observed it with his eyes. Huh. 
there's no cloths. I mean, the cloths are there. Okay, Jesus is in there, cloths are there. What do I do? Well, here's, then Simon Peter came. You know, it's like John got there first and stopped and looked in, and that was Peter's opportunity. Runs right past him. And he goes into the tomb, and now he's looking around the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. Different use. Mary got there, she saw with her eyes. John got there, he saw with his eyes. This is the first time we have a change of word. All of a sudden, and the original language makes this really clear, all of a sudden, Peter is there, he saw with his mind. He saw with his mind. Now, some of you, maybe, I do this, can get what we would call paralysis by analysis. It's like I just get stopped. Like I'm thinking about stuff that may or may not matter, but I'm all into it. And so I'm sitting there, and if I'm Peter, I'm looking around like, huh, this is interesting. Who rolled the stone? That stone was big. I wonder how much that stone weighs. A lot of people would have to move that stone. By the way, there was a guard here. What happened to the guards? Are the guards coming back? If the guards come back and I'm in the tomb, do they think I did something? What's going to happen to me in that? Wait, the linen cloths are lying there. What do I think about this? And so all of this is going on. He's trying to, it's where we get our word theorize from. He's trying to get a theory about what's going on in this moment. Why? Because the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a place by itself. Okay, so when they would bury a body, they would do it in such a way that you would wrap the body in cloth. And so, and it wasn't the thing that they wrapped you like you may be thinking about more like uh, Egyptians would have done. No, they wrapped each limb separately and they would wrap it around and then you would add a layer of ointment and preservative and then you would wrap again and you add a layer of ointment and preservative and that's how you're gonna end up doing it. And every limb would have been separated when you do this. Now, the face cloth. The reality is, is they would have done two things. One, they would have wanted to cover the face. The other is there was a sense where you did this over your head and you wrapped it under their jaw to keep the mouth closed. So when, when Peter runs in there and sees this, if you were thinking, could the body have been stolen? Well, if the body was stolen, you're not going to unwrap it. It would have been easier to carry the body wrapped in package, so to speak. And if you were thinking, I'm going to take it off, and you take off the face cloth, what are you going to do? Throw it on the ground? You're going to rip it, tear it, throw it on the ground? But look at the words that are there. Because what we have is this reality, is that this cloth was there, and it was folded up and laying off on the side. Because this is a face cloth that's never going to need to be used again. And so as he's looking there, now that's interesting The linen cloths are laid out as if somebody just came up through them. The face cloth is folded over here on the side. Oh, man, that's a real mystery. I wonder what we're going to do about that. I don't know what's going on. And then we get John, the other disciple, the first one to the tomb, not the first one in the tomb. The other disciple had reached the tomb first. See, he tells us again, how fast was he? Twice, I won also went in and he saw and believed, and that is our third use of the word saw. And this word means to see with your soul, a perception, a conviction of the reality. 
Now, I want you to see the journey that each person goes through. Everybody goes through this journey. Will you observe an empty tomb? That's what you see with your eyes. Will you think about and see with your mind what happened in the empty tomb? Well, this is odd. Why is the cloth folded? What happened here? How did the stone open? How did he come out? What Did somebody take his body? See, that's when we start trying to see it with our mind. John is the first one that is recorded that he saw with his soul. It became a spiritual conviction. It became a spiritual perception that became a reality. Why? I think in large part because of this. Why do I say that? Earlier in John's account, we read about this moment when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He cared about him. He cared about Lazarus's two sisters. But we have this moment where Lazarus has died. Jesus shows up. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now you can imagine the dramatic moment that we have there. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. I read one commentator this week that said, thank goodness for the gift of specificity because Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, that had he just said, come out of the grave, that you suspect that every person who had ever passed were to come out of the grave. He's that authoritative. But he identifies who he wants out, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And look at how Lazarus comes out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. That's how you know they weren't together because he didn't come out like this, right? He was able to walk out his face wrapped with a cloth. He wasn't able to see where he was walking. So he comes walking out like this. And look at what Jesus says. Unbind him and let him go. Let him see. Take all the cloths off of his body. And I can't help but wonder when John is sitting there and he's stooping to look in and he sees that folded cloth and he sees the other cloths laid out where Jesus would have been that doesn't say, you know, We've been here before. It, wasn't, it was like just like a week and a half ago that we watched Lazarus come out of the grave when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Remember what Lazarus looked like when he came out? I mean, he's still wrapped. His face is wrapped. He couldn't see anything. That's why Jesus said, go, go unbind him. Go unbind him. Take that off of him so that he can get back to doing what he's doing. So John all of a sudden looks around, and he sees and believes. He sees with the conviction for as yet, they did not understand the Scripture. John and Peter looking around, Mary, underst- I mean, Mary didn't understand either. They did not understand that he must rise from the dead. And all of a sudden, I think John's looking around and think, wait a minute, do we know anything about that? Because that doesn't look like when Lazarus came out, this is unique. What's going on here? Let me think about it. Oh, yeah, remember when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life? If you're going to have a resurrection, you have to have a death. But if you can have a resurrection after a death and you rise to life again, that is unique. That is son of God stuff. And all of a sudden in that moment, I think John's wheels are firing. He goes, I see it. It's coming together. And what I see, I believe. What was he thinking? So John 11 goes on to say, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Is that what happened here? And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I think John all of a sudden is saying, that's going to be me because I see and believe. And all of a sudden in that moment, they walk out and we have this moment with Peter and John 
Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now think with me about how this journey began. Mary goes with some other women to care for his deceased body. They're upset. They come, get Peter and John. They obviously are emotionally involved. They race. They get there. And we have different levels where I see with my eyes. Peter, I see with my mind. John, oh, I get it. Can you imagine that walk back home? Yeah, man, I didn't really know what he was talking about when he said, I'm the resurrection life. I didn't know he could do that. I didn't know anybody can do that. How do you do that? I mean, we saw him call Lazarus out, but who knew that he could do that to himself? Who knew that all of a sudden his empty lungs could be filled with air again and he could just walk out? And man, how bizarre was that face cloth that was folded up? Nobody took his body. Those clothes are there. You wouldn't have taken it off and you certainly wouldn't have folded it and taken the time to do that. And all of a sudden, I think, they're going back. I can't imagine the joy. Can you imagine when they get back to the other disciples? You want to talk about a great homecoming video? That's phenomenal, what that would have been like. Are we surprised that those who were hurting go to look for Jesus? No, we're not surprised. But you know where the story also takes another great turn? Is the fact that Jesus goes after and looks for those who are hurting. But Mary, we didn't even know Mary was there. I guess that means she didn't race back. She just, in her emotion and brokenness, she's walking back. Peter and John are going. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Until this, we don't even know that she's there. Weeping outside the tomb. And she, as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. Guess what? There's our word again. This time, it's thinking with her mind. She's there. She just saw Peter and John run off again. And now she's like, well, they seem to be okay. So she looks with her mind. And so she's weeping outside the tomb. She's looking. She stoops down to look. And I think that when this says she's thinking with her mind, she's theorizing. She's like, what am I missing? Something's not connecting for me. Peter and John are fine all of a sudden. I'm not fine yet. What's going on here? And so she begins to, to process that and theorize that. And so she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So now they weren't there before. So now she's looking and thinking, okay, I see these two angelic beings. That's different. You and I have never seen that. Here's these two angelic beings. One where his head was, one where his foot was. What's going on? And all of a sudden, Jesus said to her, excuse me, Jesus, the angel said to her, woman, why are you weeping? I think it's the time to say, hey, let's stop. Let's process for one moment. What's going on? And she said to him, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, let's not miss her love for our Savior. So pure, so complete that she's walking around looking for him on the third day after he passed because she still wants to honor him and care for him and nurture him. Even just for the exterior shell that was his physical body, I just want to know where he is. That matters to me. It may not matter to anybody else, but it matters to me because I love him. I just want to know where he is, so please tell me. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. That's an important part to this story. If you put yourself in the emotions of where Mary is, distraught, upset, 
hurting, wounded, still from Friday night. It's Saturday morning, excuse me, Sunday morning. She's run. She wasn't there. She's upset. It gets worse. Now somebody's taken his body. Now she's gone and got Peter and John. They were worked up. They ran. They left okay. And she is devastated saying, what's going on here? And I got angels talking to me? She turned around and she saw somebody standing there. We know that it's Jesus. She didn't. She turned around and she sees somebody standing there. And I'm sure that at some level it's like, why are you watching me weep? Who are you and why are you here? This is my private moment here. I'm devastated. What is going on? And Jesus said to her, mind you, he doesn't know, she doesn't know who he is. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thought he was a gardener. Now, have you ever been so emotional you couldn't think clearly? I mean, she knows what Jesus looks like. Overwhelmed. Who am I? Why am I weeping? Who am I seeking? Sir, sir, if you've carried him away, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you put him. He doesn't need to be your burden. I'm not trying to unload that on anybody else. I love him, and I want to care for him. I'm not asking anybody else to do anything else. I just want to care for him. Give that to me and let me do that. Gardener, you don't care. That's fine. I don't expect you to care. I want you to know that I do care. Where is it? Let me care for this body. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's you. Now, let me tell you, if there had been cameras rolling on that moment, can you imagine the joy of that homecoming video when she sees her Lord and Savior standing there in her presence? What a moment. The only word I know is joy. We can talk about frenzy. We can talk about despair. But all of that gave rise to this moment of joy. Jesus looked at her and said, don't cling to me, for I'm not yet ascended to the Father. See, after Lazarus was raised, Mary and Martha, they could go hug him. Anybody else could go hug him and hold on to him. And we're so glad you're back. Jesus said, yes, I'm back. I'm alive. But know this, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. My work's not done. There's more for me to do. But know this, Mary, I'm alive. So go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and to your Father. He's your Father too and to my God and, and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. Anybody guess what that scene is? See with your soul. I've seen with my soul the deep reality of who my Savior is. And I connected the dots. The angels were there, the folded face cloth, the linens laid out, the open stone. He said he was the resurrection and the life. He said it. And I've, I've, I've seen it with my eyes, I've seen it with my mind, and I've come to the deep reality that he's who he says he is. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And oh, the joy that comes in that moment. You see, when we think about where we are, the question for you and I would be this. And by the way, I can laugh when it says that John outran Peter. I mean, I think it's kind of funny. The reality is, I don't think John's trying to say I'm faster I think he's trying to say it's not a race, 
as much as it is a destination. And the question is, everybody in this room, everybody watching is on the same journey to evaluate, is Jesus who he said that he is? And you may run and get there before somebody else time-wise. You may be the last one there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long we go, but that we end at the process, that we see it with our eyes, we see it with our mind, and then we see it in our heart. And all of our people there did. That's the quest. A couple of weeks ago when we were doing Psalm 125, and it was the last of the Psalms of Ascent. It was two weeks ago. It was the Sunday before uh, Palm Sunday. As we looked, and I asked you a question about where are we putting our hope? What is it that we're looking to in our life that could give us hope? Because in this journey, we've gone from frenzy last Sunday, a mixture of full emotions, and a full emotion of despair on Friday night, to now the full joy, experience and emotion of joy on this Sunday morning. And we're all on this journey. Everybody watching, everybody in this room is somewhere on that journey of looking into the empty tomb, of trying to theorize what happened to the empty tomb, to landing at the conclusion that he's exactly who he said that he is and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Everybody's on that journey. And the question isn't who gets there first. The question is, do we get there? And so when we were talking in that passage, we were looking at where do you place your security? So we talked about, is it home security? Is it personal security? Is it financial security? Is it national security? What are you placing your hope in? What am I placing my hope in? And so we looked at this quote from uh, Charles Coulson. Where's the hope? I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where's the hope? And I would venture to say that every person is asking that question. I see the degrading of everything around me. And maybe things that I used to put my hope in, that's decaying too. It's demoralizing. Where do we put our hope? And Colson goes on to answer the question when he says, the hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is this, is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country and that's where our hope is in life. And that happens when we go from seeing with our eyes to seeing with our mind to actually seeing with our souls and the reality that there is one who said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me will die, but they will live. And that is an everlasting life from that point forward. So the question for you and me is this, where are you in that journey? Are you still seeing with your eyes? Are you seeing with your mind yet? Have you seen with your soul? Because if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, I, I don't really know. I'm still looking into that. Know this, is that sin and our rebellion against God that begins as early as emotions do, right? I'll do it my way. It says, you know what? Sin is what separated us from God, which is bad. What's worse is that the penalty or the wage of sin is death. And so Jesus came to earth, took on flesh. He knows everything that you've experienced. There's not an emotion you've experienced that he has not experienced. Every temptation you've ever faced, he has faced as well. That's why he is sympathetic to what our experiences as humans. And so he never sinned, though. And so we went to the cross. He could pay for a sin that wasn't his. If you and I go to the cross, we have to pay for our own sin. But he never sinned. So he's able to go to the cross and pay for somebody else's sin. And maybe, just maybe, if he didn't conquer death, he could save one person from their sin. But conquer death and become life, you can pay for everybody's sin. That's the gift that was offered to you and me today. The invitation to you would be this. 
If you're still in the observing that there's an empty tomb, I'd encourage you to grab one of our leadership. Let us talk with you about it. If you're saying, hey, I've got some theories about what's going on, grab us. We'd love to talk to you. And if you have said, I have the deep spiritual perception and conviction that he's who he said he is and he did what he did, praise the Lord because you have eternal life. That is the gift of this Easter. Because when Jesus looked up, and John records this verse for us as well, when he said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, tell me he hasn't done that in each of our lives. Steal, kill, and destroy. What? Our hope, our peace, our joy, our relationships, our dreams. You know what? The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus' life, and on Friday night, he thought he had won. And Sunday morning, Jesus said, I don't think so because I've come that they may have life and they would have it abundantly. And he offers that to you and me today. That's the marvels of this gospel message of why we're here this morning. You're gonna find that there is a lot of our, our leadership team are wearing lanyards like this today. If you're somewhere in the seeing with your eyes and you wanna visit with somebody, if you're somewhere with seeing with your mind, you wanna visit with somebody or you wanna celebrate because you've seen with your soul, then grab anybody wearing one of these lanyards today because we would love to talk to you. It's not a race. It's a destination. Doesn't matter when you get there, but that we keep moving through the process that we would actually see the grave, that we consider what happened there so that we can arrive at seeing it our souls. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.